Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life. And we like to strip away everything else and just lay bare what God actually intended for marriage. (laughs) And we are in the middle of Marriage Misdiagnosis Month. All month we've been talking about some of the ways the messaging around marriage can go really awry in the evangelical church. And today we're going to dive into that more deeply with my husband, Keith. Hey, everybody. Who is joining us. But before we do that, I just want to give a special shout out to our patrons. We appreciate all of you so much. We have a group of amazing people who support us every month. Um, Sometimes for as little as $5 a month, they get access to unfiltered podcasts and to an exclusive Facebook group and more um, merch if they're if they're higher tier patrons. And the money that they give actually allowed us and gave us the freedom to write our new book that's coming out in April, She Deserves Better. And it allows us to do all kinds of fun projects, even like funding Joanna to do the stats for the new Good Guys Guide to Great Sex and the all new Good Girls Guide to Great Sex. So we have a lot of other projects coming up. So thank Thank you to our patrons and you can join us there. There's a link in the podcast notes. And of course, there's also links to where you can get some of our merch as well. We have awesome um, canvas prints to put on your wall. We have notebooks. We have canvas totes all about what it means to be a biblical woman, what it really means to be a biblical woman. (laughs) It's not sugar and spice and everything nice. It's like jail and 10 pegs and (laughs) leading like Deborah and (laughs) and teaching like Priscilla and all kinds of fun things like that. So you can take a look at those things because they help us do what we do. All right, Keith. Yeah. Last week, we had an awesome podcast with Natalie Hoffman from Flying Free. Mm -hmm. She told us her story of being in an emotionally abusive marriage and hearing all of this Christian advice, which told her just to submit more, to have more sex, you know, to be nicer, to be more forgiving, to not let things bother her, to lower her expectations. And none of it worked. (laughs) Um, And her marriage just kept getting worse um, until she finally realized she had to get out. And now she's remarried and she's finding, hey, all of this stuff totally marriage was hard. Marriage is actually really easy Mm -hmm. when you are married to a good person who actually cares about you. So um, that was a really great conversation. And if you haven't listened to it, please do. But that was kind of like an example of how um, the marriage advice can go wrong. Today, what I want to do is go more in depth at some of the reasons why the marriage advice goes so awry. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to walk us through some of the blog posts this week and get your take on them. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because we're busy getting ready to go away, so I haven't had a chance to read a lot of the posts this week, like usual. So. Yes. In fact, when this podcast la- uh, lands mm-hmm. Thursday morning, we will be getting off a plane in Venice. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes, we hope. <laughs> so that's very exciting. Um, all right. Let me tell you a story. Okay. You know the story. <laughs> okay. So you'll be happy. There's a guy in our social group who's quite well educated and a deep thinker. And he used to go to men's retreats for years and he would teach on love and respect. Mm-hmm. And then after he heard a lot of our critiques of love and respect, he was like, I don't want to teach on this anymore, but then I don't know what to teach on. And so I recommended that he read John Gottman's Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, mm-hmm. which is the best selling secular marriage book. And I said, just teach on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, even if you do nothing mm-hmm. else. John Gottman has this great concept of the four things mm-hmm. that can most wreck a marriage. Really mm-hmm. good. And he read it and he was blown away. Mm-hmm. He was like, this is such a good book. Yeah. Why aren't Christian books like this? <laughs> yeah, because this book is based upon looking at the evidence of what's out there and formulating an idea of marriage based upon 
the evidence that you see with your own eyes as opposed to having a preconceived notion of how marriage should look mm -hmm. and then saying you should do that and any evidence that shows that's a bad way of doing marriage we just ignore <laughs> yeah. or gaslight people exactly <laughs> and you know he's someone who's used to reading business books yeah. and, and other nonfiction books and he's like this is there's no reason why Christian books can't be like that. And I'm like, exactly. It's, it's, well, it's like you said before. I mean, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. So if mm -hmm. it's true, like it honors God, right? Mm -hmm. and this is just true. If you do marriage like this, you are successful. Exactly. Okay, so let's look at, at how things go right. I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was just on social media, and this is mm -hmm. when I started recognizing the problem. And I would see like an advertisement or a you know graphic for a post on what to do if your husband's using porn. Right. Okay. And I and I would click through because I'm like, yeah, let's see what they're saying. And it was like, you need to pray more. Yes. And then I would see, you know, a post on what to do if your husband always disappoints you. Right. And I would click through and it would and say, you need to pray more. You need to pray more. <laughs> right. And then I would see, you know, what to do if you feel really distant from your husband. And I would mm -hmm. click through and it would say, I guess it's going to say you need to pray more. Yeah. Or you need to lower your expectations or whatever. And yeah. it's like, I'm starting to realize, like, why do people even read this stuff this mm -hmm. is this like this is this doesn't give you any actual steps to take and i'm not mm -hmm. saying you shouldn't pray we're going to get to that later in the podcast yeah, yeah. but it's it's like this isn't actually helpful for the vast majority of people you mm -hmm. think that people who women who their husbands use porn and they're desperate to get them to stop you think they haven't prayed yet if, even if they haven't we know there are a lot of women who've prayed a really 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 long time mm -hmm. and we know a lot of men who don't want to be addicted to porn who've prayed really long and hard to not be addicted to porn. It's not that simple. I mean, like God is God is good and, and God is powerful, but there are things that we can do to make things easier or more difficult to get better. Exactly. But I think part of the problem is that we are asking the wrong questions. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this is why things go awry. Because the questions that we are asking are how can we maintain a certain view of marriage? Mm -hmm. So, and, and the two areas where I see this the most are, first of all, the idea that you can never, ever, ever divorce. So mm -hmm. you must keep this marriage together no matter what, yeah. no matter how bad it is, you cannot divorce. Remember that focus on the family, the Southern Baptist Convention, most large denominations, uh, mm -hmm. evangelical denominations in the United States at least, do not condone divorce for abuse. So when you, when you believe that the marriage must stay together no matter what, and also that we must maintain a hierarchy in marriage where the man is over the woman, mm -hmm. then you get some of these problems and you have no answers. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that I find so funny is like when you're saying the Lord's Prayer, mm -hmm. let's, how, how does it start? Our Father in heaven, mm -hmm. hallowed be your name. Mm -hmm. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So we're praying for God's will right. to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. And yet with marriage, we turn that around for women. Mm. And we say, well, yeah, they say that God is going to speak to your husband mm -hmm. and he's the leader. So you need to listen to him. Yeah. And if you think that God's telling you something and your husband disagrees with you, you need to really examine yourself. Yeah. Because maybe, you know, God has just not told you yet what he's told your husband. Right. And, and so the way that a woman follows God's will yeah. in her life is to follow her husband's will. Yeah. And so what you're basically doing is you're equating the husband's will with God's will. In fact, you're even putting the husband's will over God's will because mm -hmm. she's supposed to follow the husband, not what God tells her to do. Yeah. And so the Well, certainly, <laughs> certainly, yeah. I mean, and they always give these caveats like, well, we're obviously not telling you to go into sin and stuff like that, right? You know, but... But if really, if, if it's really that God is telling him something, if, God, if he's the leader and God is going to speak to him in a way that he's not going to speak to me as the wife, mm -hmm. right? How do I know? When he wants to do something that I feel is sin, mm -hmm. how do I know it's sin? He obviously wants to do it. 
and he's obviously the leader in this household and I should listen to him mm-hmm. you know and then women do these things and then and then the people say you shouldn't have done that you know right. but it's like but she was just trying to follow your teaching which is she's supposed to follow her husband yeah exactly and so let's let's just think let's just think this through in a, in a practical example about why the questions we ask matter okay mm-hmm. so if the question that we're asking is how do we glorify God in this situation and mm-hmm. bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And a husband has been using, has a porn habit that's been lasting several decades. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know that God's will is yeah. the husband. Stop. Yeah. And so when we're trying to figure out what we should, what she should do in that situation, you know, we know, okay, well, she's got to draw boundaries. She's got to seek out some yes. help because God wants him to stop. Yeah. But if on the other hand, the question you're asking is how do we keep this marriage together no matter what? Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure that he stays the leader? You get advice like this. So I have something from John Piper that he that he, he had on his podcast and on his Desiring God website just this month. Okay, so okay. this is new. This isn't something this is he wrote 20 years, years ago. ago. Exactly. This is this current stuff. Right. So he was talking about a wife who was married to a husband with a 20-year porn habit. Okay. 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. marriage he's been and. Okay. Yeah, and so the the question that John that John Piper was trying to ask is how do I address my spouse's ongoing sin? He was trying to address, address answer her question. Yes, okay. and so he spent the majority of the article talking about you know submissiveness and how you know you're still strong if you're submissive and blah blah. And his and after saying all of that, this was what he told her to do. This was his only practical advice. He, of he what probably to do. let me guess. He said, "If you submit to him, then he will rise to be the man that you want him to be, or that kind of stuff." Oh, pretty cool. Which I is mean, what they always say. Yeah, here's right? what he said: If they can't seem to make progress together, then it might mean seeking the husband's agreement that they would bring a wise biblical counselor into their lives. Okay massive problems with that <laughs> so many i did a so, fixed it for you of this on instagram already so the, the <laughs> first one is and i don't know what happened because i haven't read this article mm-hmm. does he go on after that to say if the husband doesn't agree what do you do next no he says yeah, no. of course not because yeah. the whole point is mm-hmm. it's about following the husband right because it, like they they give lip service to the idea that we are trying to follow christ and we're both trying to follow christ but when you make male hierarchy the mm-hmm. trump card. Yeah. Like, no matter what we do, we also have to do, we have to keep this male hierarchy thing. Mm-hmm. Right? We cannot, we can't damage that at yeah. all. Then, you know, it's going to skew what you do. Because the healthy thing, or this would be the healthy thing to do. We all know this would be the healthy thing to do. But he might feel slighted as mm-hmm. the man. So yeah. therefore, we won't do that. Right. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And so she can only get help if he agrees. Yeah. And, the- and the help she can get is from a biblical counselor mm-hmm. who's going to teach her it's your fault. You needed to you need to submit more. If you had more sex with him, he wouldn't watch porn. Now not all obviously teachings, not all biblical counselors but do this that. This is what but, I see all the yeah, time. I, I receive messages like this constantly, and the problem is so many biblical counseling programs are set up exactly that. Marriage together at all costs. They don't mm-hmm. believe in divorce for abuse and and hierarchy. And yeah. when you have those two things, then you can't give real help. No. And because you can't actually upset the apple cart. You can't deal with the actual problem. Because if she were to deal with the actual problem of porn, the mm-hmm. marriage might be in jeopardy. And we can't have the marriage in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is we're going to paper over everything. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to be honest. And you can't get intimacy without honesty. Well, and not just that. It's like Townsend and Cloud, right? The, mm-hmm. the boundaries books. I mean, this is this is going counter to God's law of how the universe works. Is that... Mm-hmm. What a man reaps, he will sow. Yeah. And this is just ways of making making it so that men don't have to 
reap what they're sowing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it's not appropriate. If a person has a, a porn addiction, this is sin. It needs to be addressed. And telling the person who's not sinning that they have to pussyfoot around and coddle and build up the person who's sinning is ridiculous. Yeah. And you get called anti-man because you say, men shouldn't sin. <laughs> and it's like, are we kidding? Really, is that where we're at now? Yeah. Like I you know. get called for your sin and you say that you're being attacked. No, this is about being a follower of Christ, doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And I want to say this, this hurts men too. I mean, it hurts women worse, I believe, because they also have that hierarchy teaching. Yeah, yeah. But the idea that you can't upset the apple cart, like men also get it. You have to love oh, her yeah. as Christ loved the church. You have to be kind to her. You have to put up with anything. And so then he can't adequately address when she is being emotionally abusive or dangerous as well. Well, yeah, except for the fact that, you know, these churches do teach he's in charge. Yeah. So he does have the right in these churches to say, listen, you're being toxic. Stop it. Right. But if she doesn't respond to that, there's still nothing he can do. And that's the problem. Because... Well, he can get the elders board involved. Yeah, but even that. Yeah, but 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 it can't. But she can't, can't do any of these things. No, she like, can't. Like he has like five or six levels that he can escalate it yeah. if she's being toxic. Right. But she has nothing. She can ask him. If he says no, she can talk to him about whether they might go to a biblical counselor mm-hmm. who's likely going to side with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he says no, then they're just done. Yep. Yeah. It's just not right. It's inappropriate. It's not healthy. And even if you believe, if you do believe in a, that men are supposed to have some level of authority or ownership of the relationship over a woman, you've got to see that that is a complete and total mm-hmm. extreme and unhealthy version of it. And the, the people who think of these things should be fighting to say, that's not what we mean. Yeah. And I, I, I would like to see more of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So okay. when we ask the wrong questions, yep. we get into these problems. So how do we how do we preserve the marriage and how do we preserve male headship right. as opposed to how do we make this better? Yeah. So the next problem becomes, what do we think is the key issue with what is hurting marriages? Mm, okay. Okay. Um, and this is where I believe the church really massively misdiagnoses the problem because if you read books over and over again, what they'll mm, say is you need to yeah. commit. Do you remember? Yeah, it's commitment. It's all commitment. Yeah. Do you remember? when we started speaking with family life like way back 2005 and we were using the family life u.s curriculum at the time the new family life canada curriculum doesn't do this and i don't even know if the u.s curriculum does as much but at the time there were three talks on the saturday morning right and they were all All about about, it was like god's plan locking the back door yeah you know not giving yourself an exit yeah and how the person that you're married is the right person yeah um, and that that and 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 the divorces are happening because people are being frivolous, and right. it's like, well, no, most yeah. divorces are happening because for life saving reasons, like mm-hmm. because this marriage is killing me, mm-hmm. and that and and instead, well, of, certainly in the church, yes, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think in the conservative church there's a lot of like, well, I'm just tired of you, I'm going to leave, no, because people who are in horribly toxic situations are not leaving, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we do that, when we think commitment is the problem. Then again, our solutions to marriage issues mm-hmm. are to paper over things. Right. So instead of instead of telling guys, for instance, to totally heal from their problem of lust, we tell them to bounce their eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of dealing with the problems in sex life, we tell people just to have sex more. Mm-hmm. Right. And we do all these surface level things. You know, I took a look at John Gottman because I want right. to say seven principles for making marriage work is one of the principles commitment. Okay. What do you think? I'm gonna guess no. Yeah, it is not. Yeah, it is not. And and I I said this um on social media because you know, it, it makes sense because if you're buying a marriage book, mm-hmm. you you want to make this marriage work. Yes, that's why you're buying the marriage book. So the entire book is about 
you should really want to make this marriage work and that will make the marriage work. You have not told me one single thing that's helped me. <laughs> I know. I bought the book. I obviously want it to work. I, you know, like give me some tools here. I know. And I, you know, I reread Gary Thomas's A Lifelong Love. I looked at uh, Love and Respect and both of them talk about the tremendous blessing that awaits you or reward that, that awaits you in heaven if you put up right. with, with terrible right. things. And yeah. it's, it's, it is a problem now. Gary does say that you can that you can divorce for abuse, uh, which is great. But but the book is really around staying in these difficult marriages because you're going to get rewards in heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, I said last week on the podcast, and I turned into a social media thing. You know, secular the best selling secular marriage books are focused on helping people create the marriage they love. Yes. And evangelical marriage books are focused on helping people stay in a marriage they hate. Yeah. And we can do better. We can help people create the marriage they love too. Absolutely. We just need to change the way we approach the whole thing. Okay, so you were talking about who is buying these marriage books to begin with. Right. Okay, so the next the next post in our series of marriage misdiagnosis actually okay. goes into that. Okay. So what percentage of self-help relationship books do you think are read by women? Okay, I'm, I'm going to lowball it and say... 80%. Okay, that's it's actually 74 overall. Oh, I would have thought it'd be a little higher yeah, than that, actually. Yeah, but I think it is higher in the church. Yeah. Because... Anyway, but it's, yeah. it's the majority. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just 51%. It's the majority, the size right. of the majority. Right, and in, remember that many women's, and there are far more women's um, Bible studies and book studies than there are men's in North mm-hmm. America, and mm-hmm. many women's Bible studies, book studies, do relationship books. So, and I want to say too, little plug, we do have a free (laughs) eight-week video series (laughs) that you can take for the Great Sex Rescue. So we have that. That is free. Uh, It is on the website. It's a great resource. Um, Rebecca and I did those videos, so you can can look at that too. So yeah, so the majority of them are into women. Okay, so first, that's first of all. Now, second of all, if you're going to buy a marriage book, why are you buying that book? So typically, mm-hmm. I think that most people are buying it because they're having trouble. Yeah. Now, you may be buying it because you want to make things even better, you know, or that sort of, or someone recommended it would, it would help your marriage be even stronger. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people are buying them because they're in crisis. Yeah. Like, like they either want things to get better or they are just at the end of their rope and they're trying to find something to make things livable. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in, in the evangelical church, there's sort of three groups of people. And I would okay. think that's the majority. Okay. Then I think there's people who read them just at the beginning of their marriage because, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get off to a good start. Yeah. Get off yeah. to a good start. And that then, of course, sense. there's just the people who are reading them because they're doing the book study. Right? So Yeah. We're, we're all reading it together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. But but I think the majority of marriage books are written by people who exactly, they're in troubled marriages. Yeah. Now, Marshall McLuhan, Canadian sociologist. Um, right. In the 1960s, I think it was at U of T. I can't remember. I took sociology in Canada, so you would think that I would know this. But <laughs> he famous. had he had this one famous saying, yeah. and you know what it is, right? The me- the medium is the message. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The medium is the message, and what he meant by that is that the way that we hear the message, the yeah. way the message is communicated, can actually change how we interpret and hear the message. Mm-hmm. So, if the message that is given in marriage books. If our advice is primarily to the person who is hurting in marriage as to how they can make their marriage better, Mm. that is giving a message. So if you're reading a book, for instance, about affairs, right? About, you know, and or you're reading a marriage book and it it gives an example of an affair. And as they talk about the affair and the resolution of this and how the marriage was rebuilt, what they focused on was how she forgave him. Mm-hmm. Or he gave her if, if she had the right. affair. What's the takeaway from that for you? 
Oh yeah, of course. It's obviously that when you're wronged, you need to smooth it over to make it better in the future. Yeah. Right? And it makes sense because, you, I mean, the people who are writing these books know it's not the people who are messing up the marriage that are buying the books. Mm-hmm. So I could talk about how you shouldn't have an affair and you should stay faithful. And if someone is, is unfaithful to you, that's terrible and horrible. But that's not the person who's reading this book. Right. I know the person who's reading this book is the person who's been a, been sinned against, most yeah. likely. Yeah. So I'm going to tell them... If, if I could talk to the other party, I would tell them they shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But I can't talk to them. I can only talk to this person. So I'll tell them, try to forgive. Yeah. Right? And so the yeah. whole message becomes, try to forgive. Mm-hmm. And we forget the whole, that's a sin. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so if if the, 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 the main message around affairs yeah. is forgiveness for the affair, as opposed to, Holy cow, what did you do? Yeah. You need to totally rebuild trust. Absolutely. Then that is going to change Absolutely. how we view the responsibility for fixing the marriage. Absolutely. And, well, and the whole idea that in, in many churches, um, adultery is considered a breaking of the covenant mm-hmm. and you now have the right to divorce. Yeah. That is what is taught in a lot of churches. Churches that don't allow for abuse, don't allow other reasons for divorce, mm-hmm. they do allow it if there's adultery. But... Then they tell these stories of how she could have divorced him, but she learned to forgive him. And now they've got an amazing marriage and they're doing so well. And so the takeaway is, well, you can divorce, but the truly spiritual women forgive their husbands. Mm -hmm. And they don't say that, Mm -hmm. but that's the message that comes across Mm -hmm. because the medium is the message. Is the message, exactly. And you see this over and over again in our books is that the... Because we're aiming at the person who is hurting in the marriage, mm-hmm. we are now putting responsibility on them. Okay, let's take it out of the realm of affair because that's really big. Okay, yeah, let's put huge. it. Let's put it in the realm of what most people are going through. So there was an article in Focus on the Family recently okay. um, that they shared again. It's I think it's three years old, but they shared it recently, uh, and a reader sent it to me because seriously, thank you, readers. I get my best stuff from you. Um, and it was saying it was written by a guy named John Trent. Okay. And he was he was giving an example of how at one point he was very emotionally distant from his wife and he was ignoring her. And the wife would try to get through to him and he didn't understand until one day she painted this word picture for him. She grabbed um, one of his textbooks from school and she put it in front of him and said, you are treating me like I'm this textbook. So you studied this textbook a ton for your exam. And then as soon as your exam was over, you got rid of the textbook. And that's like what you did when you married me. Hmm. And he said that turned it around because suddenly he understood what she was thinking. And so the whole article was on how people could build word pictures that would get through to their spouse. And it was like this five-step process on how to build a word picture so that finally they would understand what you're feeling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, okay. So, so first of all, did he address the fact that what he was doing was really wrong and she was, it was appropriate for her to set boundaries on him? No. no yeah. No, you no. see, and that's the point is, mm-hmm. is if you say, here is one strategy that can help you deal with this problem, which is that sometimes people are emotionally distant in marriages mm-hmm. and that's a bad thing and we shouldn't do that. And here's one way you could reach a person like that. Mm-hmm. That would be fine. But he's basically saying, this is the key. This is the solution. If you just do this and your problems will be solved. Well, I think it was so funny. It's like, I'm trying to think, okay, I'm a fairly creative person. You are. I'm a writer. And the thought of trying to create a word picture to get you (laughs) to understand, like, that is a lot of work. Well, the other thing too is that, like, every individual human being is going to respond to things differently. So, you know, having something where you talked about the 
this is an idea would be fine if you gave like 16 other ways of doing it right yeah but like that this is the, because it worked for him this is the answer for everybody well, and and i mean it is it is a great idea i think it would work great in the workplace it's, yeah. it's a great skill to have when dealing with children but the problem is now this the whole this this completely complicated thing if she tries it and it doesn't work now the problem is not that he's not listening to her the problem is that she didn't think of a good enough word picture and right. so she has to go back right. so so again it places the the blame for the problem and the responsibility for fixing it yeah so if it was presented as this is an option of something you can try and you know actually it's kind of even got some biblical precedent because like god used word pictures like that a lot right Mm -hmm. so like this is an option of something you can try but if it doesn't work try something else because this is not an appropriate situation right but that's not what he said no no and and so again so this is how the responsibility for fixing it Mm -hmm. goes on the wrong party and it gets even worse Oh, no. Okay, okay, so let's move on to the next blog post we did. So what I'm doing is I'm just running through all the blog posts we did this yeah. month. And I really, I'm going to put a link to the series. Um, and I encourage all of you to check it out because uh, I put a lot of work into this. I've been thinking about it for a year, uh, if... trying to build build the argument on it. But and I then... just want to say, if you guys all signed up for her email newsletter, yes. then at the, because at the end of the week, you could get a list of all the blog posts. So if you don't have time to read a blog post every day, you can get on our weekly mailing list. At the end of the week, you can see all the blog posts of the week and go, that one looked <laughs> interesting maybe i should read that one exactly. it's really great yeah so we will put a link to how you can sign up and by the way people who sign up also get coupons for stuff and mm-hmm. lots of things so that's yeah. fun okay so then the next problem is they literally do put the responsibility for reconciling when there's been a big problem on the shoulders of the person who's wronged and yeah. i want to read you i want to read you I, a quote from every heart restored okay this the, and this book is terrible okay. i know Okay. This is part of the Every Man's All Battle right. series um, by okay. Fred Stoker and Brenda Stoker. And here's the quote. Ready? Why shouldn't you expect to make sacrifices even in the marriage bed? On the battlefield of broken sexual trust, your husband must become trustworthy and you must eventually choose to trust again. And that will mean sexual sacrifice. It's self-defeating to worry about which should come first. Yeah, see, this is why this book is so toxic. Because yeah. basically, it's talking about sexual sin. It's talking about a, that a man who's acted out and done what is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and they buy the lie that if she had more sex with him, he would be less likely to act out. Yes. Men do not act out sexually because their wives are not having enough sex with them. Women tend to not have sex with men who are acting out sexually because men who are acting out sexually disgust them. That's the truth. Yeah. Okay. And it may be a truth you don't want to hear, but it's the truth. So it's the chicken and egg. Right. Mm-hmm. So what they're saying, instead of he needs to get his stuff together mm-hmm. and show her he's trustworthy so that she can trust him again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he needs to wait until that happens. They're saying one of you has to start first. Why shouldn't it be you yep. to trust the person who has shown they are untrustworthy? Yep. Like, that's ridiculous. And again, okay, so we've looked at the worst possible scenario. Let's take okay. it down down okay. a notch now. But this also is done even in in less extreme circumstances. So, you know, basically what, what Every Heart Restored was saying is if you want him to be trustworthy, mm-hmm. you need to trust him. So if you yeah, trust him. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to if... If he wants you to trust him, he needs to show that he is trustworthy. Right. That's a different... Now, how many times have we heard this kind of advice? What men really need to hear is that you believe in them. Hmm. You need to show them that you believe in them. Yeah, and you know what? That's not bad advice if it's like you both need to show each other that you believe in each other, Mm -hmm. and you both are going to live up to that. But what we hear is, 
Men somehow need to be told they're great even when they're doing bad things. Yeah. Which is not appropriate. And And as a man, I'm offended Mm -hmm. that Christian marriage books say that about men. That men are so weak that we can't do the right thing unless we're being coddled and told how awesome we are. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and then they talk about how men are supposed to be leaders and women aren't because men are strong. Mm -hmm. Like, you are not strong if you need your wife to coddle you instead of doing the right thing. Because you know it's the right thing to do. Yep. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. No, but you go for it. Yeah. But, you know, we were reading this article on the Fierce Marriage site where it talked about the four things that men need to hear. And it was like, I believe mm-hmm. in you. Right. And I respect you. All, all these things. And while it's great to say those things to your spouse, mm-hmm. and I think it's wonderful to say those, those things to, to your spouse, to say them in the absence of your spouse's good behavior mm-hmm. is not appropriate. And this is this is what this is what we're we're often told is like, if you want him to be a leader, treat him like a leader and call it out in him. So mm-hmm. if he's watching video games all yeah. day, then if you the reason he's doing that is because you're usurping his leadership role. And if you put down the leadership role and you talk to him as if he's the leader, he'll become the leader. And it's yeah. like maybe he just wants to play video games yeah, all day. Yeah. yeah. No, know? but what's going to happen is you put down the leadership role and he doesn't do it, and then nothing's getting done, and you you kind of have to hint mm-hmm. and you know sort of like around the corner kind of make some suggestions and and then eventually if he if he doesn't pick up the leadership role then you go to him and say i need you to be the leader and he, says, and he just basically says be quiet because i'm the leader and shut up and leave right. me alone like i don't know it's just it's just it's ridiculous do you remember there was there was a book that oprah got really into um like in the late 90s early 2000s called the secret i don't know if you remember this at all i i know i like i remember the book but i've never read it i don't know anything about it yeah it was basically like it was it was basically how you can manifest goodness in your life okay. and manifest like so if you think and you act as if you are rich, you can become rich. And I'm simplifying. I don't. I never read okay. the book. I don't know. But it's this. It's this idea of manifestation. So if you want something to happen, you act like it is happening, and it will happen, okay. right? And I think a lot of Christian marriage advice is telling women to manifest stuff in their husbands. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it doesn't work. So I compared it with Gottman. I said, yeah. does Gottman teach this? Mm-hmm. Does Gottman say that you should call out stuff in your spouse even if they're not like that? Well, I, I think he, I don't think he says it quite like that. Mm-hmm. I think he talks about giving people, like noticing when people do things well. Yes. And, and encouraging them every chance you can to say the things that they're doing that really make you happy. But that's a difference. Absolutely. Because he, he talks about scanning for things to praise. So looking for things that your spouse is doing that are praiseworthy. Yes. And then praising them. Yes. He doesn't say praise your spouse regardless. Yes. He says look for things your spouse is genuinely doing yeah. and praise them. And that's one of the things I think that does happen is that you know the other the flip side we talk a lot about how the this whole patriarchal like man in charge kind of thing harms women the flip side for the guys is is that men are supposed to be strong and men are supposed to be this like you know made of stone no emotions that kind of stuff and so a lot of times women assume men don't need that kind of encouragement and they don't give it mm-hmm. and so to say to wives hey when your husband is acting in a way that is praiseworthy praise him like I did this early in our marriage too I Mm -hmm. said like you know it really when you say things to me that you're proud of me about the way I did this or Mm -hmm. you're so glad that I am such a good dad or things like that I feel like 10 feet tall Mm -hmm. and then you tried to say that more because you know how Mm -hmm. much important it was to me and and I think that that's the one thing I would say to the women is I'd say you know like when your husband is acting honorably and doing things that are very Christ-like 
seeing that and calling that out and saying that's great i think that's really encouraging i think we should do that more yeah exactly. and, and not assume that he he's strong and doesn't need that stuff because yeah he's a, a man doesn't need encouragement like that <laughs> yeah know? yeah but to say that you're supposed to say i believe in you yeah regardless of what the guy's yeah. doing well because the great thing is then because then if he stays it mm -hmm. doesn't matter what he does mm -hmm. if he's if he's a uh, playing video games all day long not helping around the house not working, not mm -hmm. contributing to the family whatsoever, and you try to manifest him becoming this mm -hmm. amazing leader for God, yeah. and he doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's still your fault. Mm -hmm. Like, you must not be manifesting right. Right. Like, it never comes down to he's being a jerk and he needs to change. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, because the message is all about what she needs to do differently because he's the leader. Yeah. And ridiculous it's, it's, it's all and, 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 and if she wants to get him to change she needs to get men to go talk to him mm -hmm. so that he'll change because men can only hear from other men right what happened to iron sharpens iron i mean marriage should be iron sharpening iron i mean you have insight that i don't have i have insight that you don't have we yeah. make each other better yeah. because we don't have all this nonsense about how you have to be very careful about the way you talk to me because <laughs> i'm a man <laughs> and i need to be spoken to in a very specific way because i have this masculinity which is so strong <laughs> that you need to not damage because if you damage it it'll all fall apart yeah like, come <laughs> on people my strong masculinity is so fragile i know it's ridiculous <laughs> and you know they actually say that um shanti felden says it well she doesn't say it she quotes a guy in her book saying yeah. it no, the uh, men are the most men. A man's egos are the most fragile things in the planet. Yeah, so. but you know the thing is, I think that there are men. I, I think that sometimes women, because we have this myth that men are strong and men don't have emotions, mm -hmm. women, some women feel like they can say anything they want to men, mm -hmm. and that is wrong, and that really hurts men. And men aren't allowed to say, "I was hurt by that," yeah, because then they're not men. Right. 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 So because there is a bad thing that happens on this side, yeah, you don't fix that by making this tremendously horrendously toxic mm -hmm. horrible thing that makes the other 95 percent of the time go really 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 bad for the woman yeah because five percent of the time the guy might have a hard time yeah. well you Come know on. and this is this is actually why i really appreciate gottman and and why i think we need to do things more like he does which is he he's not gendered about any of yeah, this yeah. stuff really yeah like he's like this is what a healthy relationship looks yeah. like and this is you know they've studied marriages um for decades and they've they've figured out like this is what couples who are going to stay together yeah. this is this is why this is how they act towards each other right they don't show contempt they remember yep. the good things they have a story that they tell right. about their relationship they they do bids to connect yep. um you know all this really great stuff and it's not and they scan for things to praise and all of that and it's not um it's not gendered it's just this is what health looks like and it's mm -hmm. it's really refreshing Sex is supposed to be great, but sometimes just getting in a bubble bath sounds a lot more appealing. <laughs> if you're wondering where your libido went, we have a Boost Your Libido course that can help. Rebecca and I have recently totally redone it with all of our new research, and it can help you figure out why your libido is sub-zero and all the different components that go into building desire. So check that out if you want to revitalize your marriage and start having fun again, because you were meant to have fun. The link to our Boost Your Libido course is in the podcast notes. I think that men and women are different and we do tend to show those things a little mm -hmm. differently. And that's great and that's fine and it's wonderful that God has made us different. Mm -hmm. But when you prescribe that all men must act like this and all women must act like that, to the exclusion of just what is healthy, mm -hmm. 
you know, you're missing the point completely. Yeah, one of the things Gottman says is that we actually tend to get into gendered things. Yeah, when stereotypical the marriage is behavior. Bad, when the marriage is yeah. bad, and the way you fix it is just, again, by going to the health. So yeah. so women tend to get defensive, men tend to stonewall. Like, we we, we react to negative things in stereo, more stereotypical ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Emerson Eggerts took that to mean that the stereotypical is the good thing. But, but Gottman's God actually way, arguing yeah. the opposite. Yeah. So it's not that he, that he says, you know, men and women are exactly the same. He just says, this is what healthy looks like. And this is what everyone should be aiming for. Mm -hmm. And when we get into these negative patterns, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, et cetera, we often, you know, men and women often adopt different (laughs) horsemen. We ride our horses differently, (laughs) however you want to say it. Um, But but we can all aim towards health, which is really good. Okay. I have one more thing for you. You ready? Okay, good. The last thing I want to talk about is the idea of, of, of really holding up marriage miracles as right. something which we should aspire to. Yeah. So the whole idea, like, if I pray hard enough, mm-hmm. will God fix my marriage? Yeah. I kind of took your thunder a little bit earlier when I talked about those divorce stories, right? Yeah, yeah. well, that's okay. Well, that's yeah. okay. We'll get into them. Um, and one of the marriage books that I actually read in a book mm-hmm. study many, many, many years ago, I think Rebecca was a baby, was uh, Stormy Omartian's, I think that's how you say her name, I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure, um, The Power of a Praying Wife. Right. And... I don't remember much about it except that it seemed very um, pat answer like, yeah. you know, uh, and I remember not really liking it at the time, but I didn't have the words for why way back then. And I, I do now, but I was, we, we looked at it again for uh, Great Sex Rescue and it did, we did rate it on how it treated sex and it did fall in the harmful category. And mm-hmm. you can see the scorecard and the rubric for that. Um, I will leave the link in the podcast notes so you can download that. Um, But I want to read to you what she says about her own marriage. She says, I confess right now that there was a time when I considered separation or divorce. This is an embarrassing disclosure because I don't believe either of those options is the best answer to a troubled marriage. I believe in God's position on divorce. He says it's not right and it grieves him. And the last thing that I want to do is grieve God. So this whole book already is Mm -hmm. set up. Like divorce is a bad thing and it's yeah. not the best option. I would argue very much that if you are in an abusive marriage, it is absolutely the best yeah. option. Well, it's not just that. They say it's not the best option, but that's code for it's not an option at all. Yeah. Right? And like, because if it's not the best option, is it an, it's an, an option? Because yeah. it isn't. Now, she did, right? she did upgrade, update the book, uh-huh. and her last chapter is now, like, if you are in an abusive marriage, I think she says you can separate, and that does matter. Okay. But it's Okay, not, well, that's, that's good. That's better. But, but still, this sentence, though, this all is still in this updated yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this is the way she's framing it all. So this is, she's already setting up the situation. She doesn't believe that she should divorce, you know, at all. Regardless. And I just want to point out, too, that the research does show that children do better Mm-hmm. If parents divorce when they are in an abusive position situation, and remember that, if if someone wants to hurt you, the worst, mm-hmm. what do they do? They torture someone you love in mm-hmm. front of you. Mm-hmm. And so, even if the spouse is not being abusive to the kids, if the kids are watching the mother be abused, mm-hmm. even if it's emotional abuse, that is torture on the children. Mm-hmm. And or the, if if the, they're watching their father be emotionally abused yes, by their mother too. Yes, it's torture on the yeah. children. And that does matter. And so this whole idea, this, the whole painting, how she's painting marriage problems is problematic. So here's how she describes her own marriage. Okay? okay. I've experienced the degree of hopelessness that causes a person to give up on trying to do what's right. In other words, to give up on trying to keep the marriage together because that's how she defines what's right. Right. 
I understand the torture of loneliness that leaves you longing for anyone who will look into your soul and see you. I have felt pain so bad that the fear of dying from it propelled me to seek out the only immediately foreseeable means of survival, escape from the source of agony. I know what it's like to contemplate acts of desperation because you see no future. I've experienced such a buildup of negative emotions day after day that separation and divorce seemed like nothing more than the promise of present relief. The biggest problem I faced was my husband's temper. The only ones who were ever the object of his anger were me and the children. He used words like weapons that left me crippled or paralyzed. I'm not saying that I was without fault. Quite the contrary. I was sure I was as much to blame as he, but I didn't know what to do about it. I pleaded with God on a regular basis to make my husband more sensitive, less angry, more pleasant, less irritable, but I saw few changes. And after a number of years with little change, I cried out in despair saying, God, I can't live this way anymore. I know what you've said about divorce, but I can't live in the same house with him. Help me, Lord. I sat on the bed holding my Bible for hours as I struggled with the strongest desire to take the children and leave. I believe that because I came to God in total honesty, he allowed me to thoroughly and clearly envision what life would be like if I left. And then she goes on to talk about how instead she began to pray. And God showed me that Michael was caught up in a web from his past that rendered him incapable of being different from what he was at that moment. But God would use me as an instrument of his deliverance if I would consent to it. And, and that's how she frames this. And then she goes on for several pages talking about how important it is to just take on this job of praying. And she says, you have to trust that what has swarmed over you, such as abuse, death of a child, infidelity, poverty, loss, catastrophic illness or accident can be relieved of its death grip. You have to determine that everything consuming you and your husband, such as workaholism, alcoholism, drug abuse, or depression can be destroyed. You have to know that whatever has crept into your relationship so silently and stealthily as to not even be perceived as a threat until it is clearly present, such as making idols of your career, your dreams, your kids, or your selfish desires can be removed. You have to trust that God is big enough to accomplish all this and more. And yeah. so this is how she's framing this whole book. I think about the analogy of medical problems, mm-hmm. right? So God does miracles. Yeah. God does amazing things. He does. God has cured people of cancer. God mm-hmm. has done all kinds of things. If you wrote a book which said, no matter what your diagnosis, whether it's chronic arthritis, whether it's <laughs> metastatic cancer whether it's you know whatever it is you need to believe that god will heal you and stick to it you know Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just gonna fail but it's as long as you pray and stick to it you'll be fine yeah that's like ridiculous and there are books like that yeah but but it's true we we like i think this whole idea that we are presenting a miracle, because yeah. this is essentially a miracle. Because okay? basically, basically, what she's saying, what she's saying is, no matter how bad you have it, yeah, I had it worse, mm-hmm. and God worked through me to make it better. So if it doesn't work out for you, it's because you wouldn't let God work it yeah. through. Now you. she does change the la- the very, very, very last chapter. She does say there are some marriages that can't be fixed even with a lot of prayer, but that's the last chapter. That's after you've worked through everything. Well, not just that. Like it's like it's the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. If you say. No matter how bad you had it, I had it worse than you, and God used me to make my husband a better person. Yeah. And that can happen for you too if you just believe. Yeah. Well, who's not going to want to believe that? 
Exactly. Who's not going to want to believe that? Yeah. You know, and in desperation, they believe it. And then when it doesn't happen, because he continues to be abusive, he continues to be an alcoholic, he continues to, to do these mm-hmm. things, it's because I, I guess I haven't done enough faith. I haven't prayed hard enough. Yeah. And As opposed to, you should have drawn boundaries. Yeah. He broke this covenant a long time ago. I also think we forget what prayer is. Do you remember Bruce Almighty? Yes, I love that movie. Great, great, great movie. And you can quote it much better than <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but do you remember when um, uh, he's desperate to get his girlfriend to love yes. him? Yes. How do you make someone love you without messing with free will? Yeah, yeah. When you figure that out, son, you tell me. <laughs> I knew you could quote it. I knew you could quote it. Exactly. Because like, that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is that you can't mess with free will. Yeah. And you can't get someone to love you. Yeah. And that's the way that God baked the universe. Now, now, what you all listeners do not understand. We're not saying you should go to Bruce Almighty for theology. No, but <laughs> there is some interesting stuff in there. But you're, you're, Keith is a total science nerd. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. love reading science books. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm sure on the cruise you're so, going to read some Okay, so, books. like, my uh, my sister-in-law um, did a biology course, and I saw her biology textbook on her. I said, oh, hey, can I can I borrow that? And I read her biology textbook. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't read the most recent like stuff about yeah. cell division and all that stuff. I just want to know what what the, yeah. the latest di- discoveries were. So it was funny. Yeah. Who reads but, textbooks for fun? But right? One of the things that, that you read a while ago about physics is how free will is actually baked into physics. Oh. Um, okay. Like how we can't know like like how um, things oh, aren't. So things things aren't things aren't determined. Okay. So yeah. back back in the eighteen hundreds, uh-huh. the thought was we now know the understand the laws of physics mm-hmm. and everything has every effect has a cause. Mm-hmm. So even something like, you know, when you crack billiard balls mm-hmm. and it looks totally random. It's not random. Yeah. Like depending on the angle of the, the way the ball hit them, how fast it was going, what spin it had, all that stuff, you can predict mathematically where all those balls would go. Right. And so the thought was that there could be no God. Yeah. And or if there is a God he is, in effect, he's, he, he, you can in fact write the equation because all of science goes a certain way. And so everything goes in a certain pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's irrelevant. And you have right. no free will because it's chemicals in your brain going a certain direction, which they're going to go anyway. Right. And you have no choice. Right. But with the discovery of quantum physics, we now know that the, the universe, there is inherent parts of the universe that are unknowable. Mm-hmm. Like not just... We don't have the technology right now. Mm-hmm. We don't have the resolution. It's too microscopic for us to see. Like, it is inherently unknowable. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, is the hand of God, right? Yeah. There's, there's things behind the veil. There's right. things that we don't understand that are going on behind things. You know, as a Christian, that's what I think anyway. Yeah, so. and so we know, like, the, so God has set the world up so that it isn't predetermined in the yeah. same way. And part of the way that he did that, I think, is to give us free will. Yeah. And so we need to understand that prayer does not override free will. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we totally get that. Yeah. I know as teenagers, you know, you're praying, oh God, please let him love me, right? Mm-hmm. Please let him Please let him notice me or her or whatever it might be. And God doesn't work that way mm-hmm. because he doesn't override free will. Now, there are some things, we know that he hardens and softens hearts. Mm-hmm. He convicts people of sin. Um, he can talk to people, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus, Balaam through his donkey, like he talks Mm -hmm. to people, right? But, but if you believe Mm -hmm. that you can make God Mm -hmm. do those things to your husband or your wife, if you pray hard enough, then you believe you control God and you believe you are God. Yeah. Right. So, so that to say that you just pray harder and it will be fixed. 
I just don't buy it. Yeah, it's another form of manifestation. No, it doesn't. It it, it isn't. It isn't right. That's not the purpose of prayer. You know, mm-hmm. God God can work amazing and do amazing things, and He does, but <laughs> He is not going to force a man or a woman who doesn't want to change to change. Mm-hmm. He can put circumstances in their life. He can speak to them and give them dreams. Like God does all of these things, mm-hmm. but He doesn't force anyone to change and you could pray your whole life for your spouse to stop drinking Mm -hmm. and it may not happen because your spouse may not want to stop Mm -hmm. drinking and may just decide no i am going to keep drinking and that's not your fault exactly it's not because you didn't pray hard enough and what really bugs me is when people hold up these extreme stories of terrible situations in marriage that totally turned around as if they're inspirational as if we should emulate them like uh gary thomas did this last month just as an example he had a story on his facebook page of so two people had an affair they were both married they had an affair and then at the end of it um both spouses forgave so well that everyone now like the four of them are all friends Mm -hmm. right and it's like okay (laughs) um that's radical but should we be holding that up like is this the message that we're supposed to be giving i guess is my point because if it was about like i think that's a miracle and i'm not saying that's not good i'm not saying that we should that 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 that's not wonderful that that happened but there are such things as miracles where god does an amazing thing and the person totally repents. Both of those things need to be present, right? God has to do an amazing thing and the person totally has to repent. So God has to give you a special measure of grace (laughs) and the person has to repent and all these amazing things have to line up for some of these big miracles to happen. Let's say that you're at a children's hospital and there's a support group for parents of kids who are dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And let's say the speaker comes in and talks about how God healed this person's child Mm -hmm. the parents would rightly be devastated at that speaker Mm. yeah and yet we don't do that about marriage and i think we need to take a similar approach i saw something on social media where it was like god makes good marriages great and broken marriages whole Mm -hmm. and i really didn't like that because there's a lot of marriages that do not get to be whole and what Mm -hmm. i would rather say is that god makes you know good people great and broken people whole. Mm. Broken people whole. Yeah. Not broken marriages whole. Because mm-hmm. that makes all the difference. Yeah. And sometimes the miracle that God does is he gives you great peace and freedom and he, he provides for you and he gives courage and bravery to leave a marriage you need to leave. Mm-hmm. And that should also be a success story. Well, I mean, because it's like Natalie Hoffman was saying last week with your yeah. podcast, right? Like, so if you have a destructive marriage, mm-hmm. the Christian teaching is keep it together no matter what. Yeah. So what you do then is you raise children in a destructive environment mm-hmm. that then creates another generation of destructive marriages. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you said, this is a destructive marriage, I am not going to let you treat me like this anymore. And you got out yeah. and remarried to a person who was healthy, like Natalie's kids doing so much better now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like so, how is how is keeping things to the keeping the appearance mm-hmm. of wholeness while you're causing destruction? How is that glorifying to God more than saying no? I am a child of God. I deserve more than this, and I'm going to 
set boundaries on you and and if i have to find somebody else i will yeah and i will raise my kids with a person who cares for them yeah why is that not glorifying to god yeah that's what i, I don't understand i i don't, I don't get it either okay I mean, now, and like we're not talking about because they left the toilet paper roll around the wrong way <laughs> like we're talking about destructive marriages here right mm-hmm. we're talking about abuse here and and they, they still they just double down every time yeah and yeah. they present these extreme cases and say if you just pray harder it'll be just like what happened with me yeah and it's like, no, and, and it, it's not like that. And it shouldn't have to be like that. Okay, I want to end this podcast okay. with a story okay. from a woman who wrote in. So we've been talking about how bad this marriage advice is when mm-hmm. you're in a bad marriage, especially. Because yeah. those are the people who suffer the most, right? Yeah. Like the, the people who suffer the most from the marriage misdiagnosis are the people who are really in desperate straits, yeah. right? Like you're, it's, it's going to be worse if you've got lung cancer and they tell you that you have bronchitis, you know, <laughs> then, you know, if you have strep throat, they tell you you have bronchitis. So the people that it hurts the most are the people who have the worst things wrong with them. But there are ways that um, a marriage misdiagnosis, just the giving the wrong advice okay. and diagnosing the problem wrong can hurt even couples that are good. Relatively healthy. Yeah, that they want to love each other. And so I want to end with a comment that was left on the blog. So this is actually going to be the last post. This post isn't even live yet. So you guys are getting a preview. (laughs) (laughs) But it is coming on the blog at the end of the month. But I I just want to read her story. She frames this by explaining that she recently went back and got some training in being an abuse advocate because she wanted to understand some of the dynamics that were going on around her better. And she says, "Um, my husband is an abuse survivor, but kids of abuse don't necessarily grow up to be abusers. That's a common myth. But we did have some unhealthy dynamics and I couldn't figure out why or what they were exactly. All I knew is that the Christian teachings we were getting were harming us. Here's an example. Men are told they should love their wives like Jesus loves the church and gives his life for her. How might that translate if you do not also teach self-care and boundaries? My husband only was modeled a codependent love, the love Mm. that his mother showed to his evil father. And I don't say evil lightly. His father was horribly physically abusive. But if your idea of how to sacrificially love is to ignore your own needs and betray yourself and your own desires all the time for another... Well, you might be able to imagine that as a person who wanted to love him back, this sort of being loved didn't feel good. If someone can't or won't show up and say what they want or what they like, how can you love them back? Who are you loving if they aren't showing up? Yeah, so what she's saying is like her husband felt like the way to love her his wife was to totally empty himself of everything of all his desires and so she's like i can't love you back because i don't even know what you want Mm -hmm. like you're not even here you've become a shell of a person yeah all in the attempt to love as christ loved the church right then when he would be doing loving things like doing the dishes when he got home from work well that seemed like a nice thing right except that he wasn't doing the dishes because i had asked for help or because we were doing what needed to be done together no he would stop me from doing something and tell me to sit down and he would do it but i wanted to spend time with him i didn't want all the forced service that he felt he had to do right it is confusing to try to explain because it ends up sounding like I'm complaining about a great guy and what, what, what every wife would want. But the dynamic wasn't right. He treated me like an abusee that needed appeasement because that is the only love he knew. And because I was taught to submit to my husband, I didn't know how to change the dynamic that we had going. Basically, I was taught how to love codependently too. 
So we had this cycle of love where we both ignored what we needed ourselves in order to serve the other and neither of us were happy. We ended up making some decisions that neither of us really wanted because we were trying so hard to serve and follow the other. In one way, I'm thankful for what I was taught because I can see how it kept me from squashing him. But I also wish that marriage advice had been better back then. No one taught about how marriage is a gift and a comfort. The books we read seemed to always point out how marriage was hard and a sacrifice and it was meant for suffering. Well, we did suffer. My husband more so because he didn't have a sense of this isn't right like I did. At least I had a memory of healthy attachment love and an amount of independent gumption that came into me before I got squelched with extra conservative teachings of obedience and submission. Hearing outright what is wrong or off, like Sheila's fixed it for you, is so helpful. Also, when teachers point out boundaries and what is harmful and what is good without muddying the waters, it's always helpful. Even in non-abusive marriages, we don't get it right. And we might not know what marriage should look like intuitively. Picking out the good from the bad isn't possible for those of us who believed harmful messages about hierarchy, like me, or those people who only experienced unhealthy relationships with no boundaries, like my husband. We are both two people with good intentions who wanted to love each other well, and honestly, we would have been better off getting no advice or interference from anyone for the first 10 years than the help that we did get. But good advice and solid interdependent teachings would have been helpful, like how to love the other as yourself. So what does loving yourself well look like then? Because if you ignore all your own needs, you aren't able to love others well at all. We have to start with the individual persons before we can work on the couple together. Every problem in a marriage is not a couple's problem and enabling the other person is not loving. That's great. Yeah. You know, and they're doing great. She's a frequent commenter and, and, and she's doing well now. But again, you know, the advice didn't help them. Because it wasn't focused on how to be healthy. Yes. It wasn't focused on what healthy looks like. Mm -hmm. It was just telling them marriage is hard. You need to sacrifice. You need to suffer. And they just didn't have any idea how to get out of that. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Jesus came to give us life and give it abundantly. Mm -hmm. We can get that, people. Yeah. We really can. And so um, what we're going to do in the next month, we have one more uh, podcast in this series, but in October, we're going to spend the month going through new research. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Rebecca's going to be here mostly on the podcast since we're on our vacation. Um, but we've pulled a bunch of new peer-reviewed research to tell you, here, here is what healthy looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and let's get on the right track. And then in November on the blog, we're going to talk about how to get out of the hole that you've mm. dug for yourself in your marriage, even if it was inadvertent, and how we can start climbing out. Um, because we aren't meant to stay stuck because of all this bad advice. Mm. We can thrive when we get healthy. So thank you for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. I will put the links to our marriage misdiagnosis series in the podcast notes so you can check them out. And again, um, thank you to our patrons. Please check out our merch too. And we always appreciate all your support. We will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.